0: all right i have the honor today of introducing um probably i have i have childhood best friends who have been there from the beginning and then i have best friends who came into my life and i think we argued about stoves the first time like (laughs) um but are the people that you go to And Melissa is a person that I go to. And she hears from the Lord, like, remarkably well. And she astounds me with her knowledge of the Old Testament. Uh, Somebody made a comment on Facebook, on one of her Facebook posts about something Old Testament, and I said, ooh, to be a fly on the wall. (laughs) And Melissa takes on this person in the Old Testament. But I just want to honor Melissa today as one of my best friends, one of the people who I probably, Pastor Fred asked, how many people do you have five out of five trust with? And I said one. And I looked at Matthew and then I revised that. I probably have about five people or 10 out of 10 trust. And mm-hmm. Melissa's one of those people. So I just want to commend her to you today. And uh, I know she's got something great for us.
1: Yeah. Thank you. All right. So we're actually not going Old Testament today. I'm going to go Christmas on y'all. So CCA had their Christmas pageant in January due to illness back in December. And uh, so we're just going to go with it. And it actually didn't start with the Christmas pageant yesterday. It started with one of the fourth graders' prompts. I helped at the school. And it started with one of the fourth graders' prompts for a project. And the question was, they had to write a letter, or I think it was a letter to Jesus, and the question that they had to answer in the letter was, what does it mean to you for Jesus to leave the glory of heaven to come to earth as our Savior? And it struck me, as I'm explaining this to them as we're discussing it and talking about it, it struck me that the coming of Christ to earth, the birthing of the promise of the Messiah, actually started with the response of a 12- to 14-year-old girl. May it be in me as you have said. So we're going to look at the scripture in Luke. uh, Luke chapter 1, to 26-38, where the angel Gabriel comes to her. We're going to read that first before we get into the other stuff. And if you were here last night, you heard the scripture last night, so you already know it. So if you want to say it with me, go for it. So the baby will be born holy, and he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of the God will never fail. And Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. The prophecy of the Messiah throughout the whole Old Testament is coming to fruition, starting on the earth, right here in this section of Scripture. And it starts with the messenger of the Lord coming to a young girl. And I'm going to say that Mary is in fact the prototype of the first Christian. And if you know my background, that's actually a very revolutionary statement. I was raised Catholic, and Mary is very revered and honored. And my mother would be stomping her foot going, what are you talking about right now? And I would say my father would be rolling in his grave, but he's on the other side of glory, and he's with the saints cheering me on. So, so he's all good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's Christ. Coming to inhabit his people. And Mary was the first representation of that on the earth. And she had the privilege to birth Christ the man. But we have the privilege of birthing the manifestation of Christ in the earth. In Colossians, it says, It's the mystery that Christ is in us, which is the hope of glory. We're not looking for another baby Jesus, okay? We're not. He came. He came as a man, he finished the work on the cross, and he established his covenant. But what we're looking for is to be the hope of glory to the world. And right now, it's like Lord of the Rings in our most desperate hour, it seems, right? Jen said the other day, why do the nations rage against us? But the Lord laughs because we are the manifestation of Christ on the earth, the hope of glory. And we can't move away from the understanding of Christ coming as a man and as the son of God. He was the agent of change in the earth and his covenant is one of love. And it's even up there. I loved that this morning. I came in and I saw this and I was even wearing purple and I was like that's perfect. And last week Fred preached on love and how it, we are we know in part, we see in part, we pursue the gifts But there is a better way, there is a higher way, and that way is love. And the coming of Christ, the resurrection, the the cross, the resurrection, the victory of Christ, is his love and glory poured out on the earth. And we're going to look at this scripture, and we're going to break it down into three different things. Two things I believe God's doing, and one that should be our response. And the first thing, it's the very thing the angel said to Mary. Rejoice, highly favored one, as I believe God is pouring a new portion of his favor upon the earth right now in his people.
0: Yep.
1: And favor of and the favor of God is the beginning of Christ in us. The favor of God to mankind is the work of Christ on the earth and the resurrection and the life. It even said in Luke 4, Jesus walks into the temple. This is after his baptism. This is after him being in the wilderness. He walks into the temple on the Sabbath day, and it's his turn to read. And he's handed a scroll, and it happens to be at the scroll of Isaiah. And he stands in front of the chair, and he reads. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. I am anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He broke favor wide open. And then he sat down in a chair that hadn't been sat in, and he said, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It is the year of the favor of the Lord. So Mary, who's highly favored, she had the privilege of bearing Christ. But that privilege also came with a lot of shame of humanity. We touched on shame a little bit earlier about how he's breaking it off. And he is indeed. And sometimes the favor of God has a price tag that doesn't quite look like favor. But it indeed means that we are walking the where we should be walking. See, when Mary said yes, let it be in me as you have said, she became that girl the girl who could have been divorced quietly, the girl who could have been even stoned to death, and the family that was always known about. There had to always have been whispers. But it was Christ in her that was the hope of glory for the world. Favor simply means to pursue with grace, and God pursues us. It's us who disqualify ourselves. If we measure, if you measure you, you will always disqualify yourself. But God is pursuing you with favor, and he calls you higher. You are highly favored. Rejoice. The Lord is with you. Don't disqualify yourself from the work God gives you to do. He's chasing you down, and he will give you everything you need to fulfill what he's called you to do. Even if it seems impossible, Mary even says, how can this be? She's a virgin, right? Elizabeth's old. She's barren. She's past the age. Well, anything is possible with God. And God's word never fails. Because when we step into agreement with his word... The favor of the Lord comes upon us, and we are chased and pursued with this grace, with this favor. And we are highly favored ones of God. It's part of our identity in Christ. There's a lot of words throughout scripture. I think can think of Gideon. Mighty man of valor, right? He was hiding in the wine press. Highly favored one of the Lord. They start with our identity. Our identity rooted in the favor of Christ. Because we need to shake off who we think we are and immerse ourselves in who God says we are. And I actually titled my sermon this, Overshadowed. And I believe this is the second thing God is doing right now on the earth. And it says in this Luke chapter 1, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, And the power of the Most High God will overshadow you, so the Holy One who is in you to be born will be called the Son of God. And I couldn't shake the word overshadowed. I just couldn't shake it. If you simply define it, it just means to tower above, to cast a shadow over, to make something seem less impressive or dwarf in size. And the scripture to me that comes to mind, abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And when we are in the shadow of the Almighty, he is all-encompassing. And even though I'm small, it's his favor, his grace, which he chases me down with. His wraparound presence, the overshadowing of his power. He's a strong tower, an area of safety. And I couldn't get rid of the word overshadowed in my head, so much so that I uh, looked across all of the, the versions of Scripture, and it's only ever used five times throughout all of the translations of Scripture. It's first used in Genesis, when Adam was overshadowed by a deep sleep when God created woman. The Lord overshadowed him. It's used here in the scripture with Mary. The Lord overshadowed Mary with power so that she could birth the Son of God. It's used later in Luke 9 on the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses, Elijah, and Jesus meet together and Peter, James, and John are watching a distance off. And Peter speaks out of turn and he says, Let us build a tabernacle for each of you. And the Lord overshadows them, and they're afraid to step into the cloud. They're afraid to be overshadowed by God. And God says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. But likewise in Acts 5, Peter is preaching and doing signs and wonders and traveling about. So much so. The spirit is on him so much so. He's abiding in the shadow of the Lord so much so. They bring the sick into the streets so that when Peter walks, he, the sick on the ground may be overshadowed by Peter's shadow and be healed. And then it's mentioned by Paul one last time in Second Corinthians 12. Let me boast in my weakness rather than complain in order that Christ's power overshadows me. I love how the first three, in Genesis with Mary and on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's the power of the Lord overshadowing his people with his glory. And then, because remember, this is after the cross now. We're in Acts with Peter. Peter's preaching and doing signs and wonders. He's been sent out. And then, it's the inhabitation in his people. People are Peter inhabits the overshadowing of God. He abides. And then it's his shadow people want to be overshadowed in. He was reflecting so much of heaven, so much of the ascended life, they lined up on the street so that they could be overshadowed by what Peter was carrying. And again with Paul, and it goes back to disqualifying yourself don't quote disqualify yourself, but boast in your weaknesses so the power of Christ. Overshadows you. It's the deep work. It's nothing to be taken lightly. You can almost feel it like a cloak. And we're called to remain in the shadow of the Almighty, not to get distracted, to keep our vision singular. On the one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Many perspectives, many facets, but singular vision on the one. As we abide in his shadow. So that the power and the glory of God can overshadow us. So that we're so filled, so filled, that we take that into the world. And whoever we overshadow is are immediately healed, transformed, revived, That's the spirit of revival. The overshadowing. It's also the only way to live unoffendable. To remain. To abide in the shadow of the Almighty. It doesn't specifically say that in Scripture. Or this, what I'm about to say. Say this in Scripture. But how much so... Did Mary have to abide to keep herself and the overshadowing of God while she was doing his work, while she was physically carrying Christ on the earth? That could not have been an easy thing to do. It couldn't have. My daughter Lucy's 12 years old. Some of you are 12, 14, Right?
0: Can you imagine,
1: can you imagine, you would have to be so overshadowed to live unoffended to produce Christ in the earth. And Christ in her, just like Christ in us, the hope of glory, he was the son of God. He was sitting on the throne of David and his reign has no end. So when we remain overshadowed, the Christ in us, who is he? He's the mighty God, the wonderful counselor. He's heaven's government, and he's the prince of peace. I read a very interesting definition of the prince of peace. I believe it was a devotional. I don't remember which one it was, but it was, why is Jesus the prince of peace and not the king of peace? And I went, who even asks these questions? I don't know. <laughs> questions are good. God wants our questions. I'm learning to ask questions. It's in the questioning and the building of the relationship with Christ that his revelation is poured out. Questions are important, but I would have never asked that question. Why is he not the king? And they go on to say, and they break it down into the Greek and. And he goes on to say that the same Greek word used for the prince of peace, or the same word used for the prince of peace, is also the word they use for the principality in Ephesians. So, he's not just the ruler of peace, he is the principality of peace. So when we carry him, all of the worldly principalities cannot stand, because we walk in a higher way. We always say that uh, peace is not the absence of something, but it's the presence of someone. It's the presence of Jesus and his kingdom. And when we are walking in the principality of peace, no other principality can rule or reign within you and your sphere. How amazing is that? So when we're overshadowed in Christ in us, the hope of glory, we get to walk in those things. We get to manifest those things. He wants to be the wonderful counselor. How many people are hurting right now that need the love of Christ? He wants to show up as mighty God. He wants to be heaven's government. He is heaven's government, but he wants it manifest on the earth. And Christ coming as a man, as a baby, both the Son of God and the Son of Man, it's a mystery that's confused even the wisest. Jesus was rejected. Even as he sat and he read the scroll that we talked about from Luke 4, he read the scroll on the Sabbath, and he sat down, all of the people, their eyes were transfixed on him, and they were in awe. But then they began to reason, not with heaven's logic, but with their own logic. And they reasoned away the revelation of Christ. Oh, no, no, no. This is Joseph's son. This is, no, this is Joseph's son. Because it was supernatural. It was a supernatural birth. It exceeded nature. And when we have something that's supernatural, if we try to logic and reason it with our own mind, without the revelation of the Spirit, we wipe it away. So we're called to live overshadowed, to bear fruit. To abide. It says in John 15, Abide in me and I in you. A branch can't bear fruit itself. It's my notated version. It's longer than that. (laughs) But that fruit is the hope of the world. The hope of glory, Christ in us. Sometimes we get to feeling powerless like there's nothing we can do. And I think sometimes it's because we forget who inhabits us. I think we forget what principality we walk in. The power, the power of the Almighty, the glory of the Almighty, whose word will never fail. It does require something of us, though, all these grand things, and it requires our surrender. And Mary, indeed, probably still confused, Probably still a little afraid. Let it be in me, as you have said. We like to say that all the promises of God are yes and amen, but I want to look at that scripture, 2 Corinthians 20, verse 20, lots of twos. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. It's not merely just the surrendering, just saying, yep, go ahead, do it. It's the willingness to become the vessel. It's the willingness to be the vehicle on the earth to see the promise come to fruition. It's not just the agreements with our lips. Those are important. It's not just, yep,
0: do it. They can do it.
1: Go for it. I'm cheering you on. It's the submission that we are the vessel on the earth. The amen by us. It doesn't matter, I mean it matters. These things matter. When the pastor says amen, that matters. When the president says amen, that matters too. But even if they don't, your parents, if your parents say amen to the work of God, It matters, but even if they don't, my amen, the surrendering of my will to become the vessel and the birthing of Christ on the earth, the hope of glory, is what matters most. The surrendering of myself to God, to be overshadowed, to be covered in his favor, pursued in his favor, Because you and God, no matter what crowd you're in, you're a majority. There you go. There were some pretty funny memes about that, though. I don't know. Just the humor factor that came out of that. I enjoyed that greatly. But anyhow. (laughs) the answer in the earth. As the son of man, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets, the old covenant. And in him and his life, all was completed and his work was finished. And he took that work to the cross to fulfill the covenant. Do we understand what a covenant is? It's a promise unto death. You can think of a marriage until death do us part. And God had a covenant with his people, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, an intergenerational covenant with God. All of the generations are his people. To fulfill the law of sin and death, he became the son of man. And the son of man had to die for the covenant to be fulfilled. And as he lay, or not lay, as he hang on the cross, he spoke the words, it is finished. And that was put to the past. And then we enter into a new covenant, a covenant with God the Father and God the Son. One that we are welcomed into, we're ushered into in our salvation experiment, or experiment. (laughs) Experience. (laughs) It's not an experiment, it's tried and true. (laughs) One that we're ushered into in our salvation experience. One that we can't mess up because the covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. And God sees the Son in our stead. And you have not been forgotten. He has not forgotten a single one of you. It says that you are engraved upon his palms, upon his heart. He knows you each by name every one of you is not forgotten. And we enter into a new covenant of love and forgiveness and grace. Because Christ in us is the hope of glory, and his favor is poured out for all the world to see for his great love on our behalf and on the behalf of the world. And then we enter into the overshadowing of the power that is the abiding in the shadow where all fruitfulness is. We can't abide outside of the love of God. And then we surrender ourselves and we say, yes, we will be the vehicle on this earth. We don't have to worry about falling into the ways of the world. Actually, our focus should be in the opposite direction. Our focus should be... How much of the ascended lifestyle, how much of heaven can I, when I go to the throne to worship and to pray and to meet with God face to face in that intimate relationship, how much of heaven can I bring to earth each time before going full Enoch? Right? The man who walked with God and was no more? How much of heaven can I bring to earth? That should be our focus. And how do we translate that? and birth that into solutions for the world, so that we, we are the agents of change and revival and transformation. So as we go this week, let us keep our vision singular, set on Christ. Let us be in awe of the many facets and the wonder of his power and his name. And I charge you to rend the heavens to meet with your Father face-to-face, to build that relationship deeper and deeper so that you are overshadowed in power and glory so that we can be the vehicle every day to birth what he's doing on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen.